0: And now it's time for Guaranteeing Your Retirement with your host, David Graham from Graham Capital an estate planning and investment management firm right here in Florida. Here's your host, David Graham.
1: Good morning. This is Dave Graham, the Retirement Guy, and you're listening to Guaranteeing Your Retirement on this beautiful day here in the Tampa Bay area. Springtime storms are finally with us. Arbiter of things to come. Summer is right around the corner. Oh, boy, I'll tell you. This show is brought to you by Graham Capital Advisors. We're the people that you come to when you're getting ready for retirement and you want to do it correctly. You want to do it properly. You want to do it without any stress in your life. Let us show you how easy it is. Three-legged stool. Legal, planning, investing. You have to have all three done properly. If You miss one, you're not going to have a guaranteed retirement. It's so simple. My gosh, I've been doing this for well over 40 years, and some people say too long, but let me tell you something. It hasn't changed. When you talk about legal, it's not just getting a will. It's more a matter of getting a good revocable trust with all the necessary ancillary documents so you can protect yourself if you get sick. No one dies anymore. We keep going on and on like the Energizer bunny. Leading cause of bankruptcy for anyone over the age of 55 is health issues. And if you have a good revocable trust with all the necessary documents, you can avoid Good part of the issue of nursing home costs, but you've got to take the initiative. You've got to get the legal documents to do that. Dying is easy. That's a will. Well, you get a will in a trust, but you haven't done that yet. Let us help you. That's the first step of truly trying to guarantee your retirement. And then what do you have? You have planning. Get a real roadmap to follow. Go to someone that's truly certified. Don't go to a financial widget. Or some guy on the radio or TV that represents an insurance company who doesn't even have the courtesy of telling you that. They even have the audacity to say they're fiduciaries when what they're really doing is just selling you a bad annuity. Okay, get a real plan. Go to someone that's a certified financial planner, certified estate planner, certified something. Because they take pride in what they do. That's why they get that extra designation. You know, then last but not least, you invest for retirement. And what is that? Don't lose your money. First rule of investing. First rule of investing. Don't don't lose what you got. Second rule of investing. Don't forget the first rule. Don't lose what you got. Because if you lose it, you got to remake it. And that takes time. And as you're getting close to retirement, you're running out of time. Be happy with what you got and invest it properly. Legal planning, investing, if you do it correctly... I guarantee you, you'll have a great retirement. If you don't know how to do that, or if you're going to somebody that's selling you financial widgets and something inside you, your gut's telling you that you need to make a change, come and see us. Go to our website, schedule an appointment. We have offices in Tampa, Sarasota, Washington, D.C. on K Street. We can show you how easy it is. It's GrahamCapitalAdvisors.com. That's GrahamCapitalAdvisors.com. And with that, you know, we always start off the show with a little levity. And I don't know if you saw this one. Colorado man was pulled over for speeding. But the police officer saw him move over to the passenger seat as the officer was approaching the vehicle. The man, of course, claimed that he wasn't the one driving. Unfortunately, the passenger he was trying to trade places with was his dog. I wonder what this guy was drinking. Oh, my gosh. Fun fact of the week. If Bill Gates was a country... He'd be the 37th richest country in the world. Oh, boy, I'll tell you. That's even after his divorce. Okay, quote of the week, quote by Woody Allen. One, one good thing about being poor is that when you're 70, your children will not have declared you legally insane in order to gain control of, of your estate. Okay. Crime of the week. We always have to show you some kind of federal crime that's on the books. Always trying to make sure you don't put yourself in a sticky situation. It's a federal crime to sell smoked provolone cheese. If the word smoked is written in letters that are less than half the size of those used to write the word provolone. Where do they come up with this stuff? My gosh, that's crazy as, I don't know, smoked provolone. Well, yeah, it's smoked. And how about the history lesson 36 years ago, May 27th, 2023. You two played a concert in Rome that was so loud, they set off earthquake alarms in two different neighborhoods. Well, 36 years ago, 2023, I don't think that was 36 years ago. Oh, boy. Okay, that be said, when you look at what you have, so many people... I have to sometimes use analogies so they can kind of see through a picturing in their minds when they listen to me, you know, something that I'm trying, a point I'm trying to get across to them. So let's talk about having a farm, a retirement farm. And so what can you learn from planning for retirement while you're living on a farm? So let, let me use these analogies. How about understanding your net worth versus your cash flow? You know, the value of the farm as in a financial asset could sometimes be, could sometimes be a meaningless number. You know, the land might be worth a lot more, but that doesn't mean that it's necessarily producing income. In your financial plan, your net worth can also be somewhat a, this is a deceptive figure because what really matters for retirement planning is how much income you're going to be able to generate. Okay. It's not a matter of counting your acres. It's a matter of what you got coming in. How about chickens and eggs? If you have a coop full of chickens, you should have a fairly profitable egg business. So as long as the chickens are healthy and happy, the eggs are going to keep coming. But suppose one day you decided that you wanted just more than eggs. and You wanted some fried chicken. So you ring of the neck of one of the chickens and you fry up a chicken dinner. Well, now we don't have as many eggs being produced as we once did. So we have to make the difference. We kill another chicken to give us more meat to supplement our dwindling egg business, and then what happens? We have fewer and fewer eggs being laid, and the whole empire spirals downward. One day you wake up, and you have no chickens or eggs left, okay? This is how people run out of money in retirement. They think they can just live off the income that their assets produce, Then they realize that they're not being realistic and have to start dipping into the principle, and guess what? Their assets start to disappear quicker than... Than expected. And eventually they're out of eggs and out of money and asking Uncle Sam to help them. Oh boy. Foxes and weasels. Speaking of chickens and their eggs, we need to protect ourselves from the foxes and the we- weasels <laughs> that want to break into your coop and kill your chickens. In the financial world, there are a number of foxes and we- weasels. They, they, they They have to protect themselves against things like inflation that steals your buying power over time, catastrophic market losses, can steal your peace of mind. You want to sleep at night, don't you? What about long-term care expenses? You can steal a legacy that you had in mind for your kids and your grandkids. Diversity of crops. If your farm only grows corn, you're putting yourself at risk. A couple of reasons. What happens if an engineer creates an extremely inexpensive and healthy corn substitute and the demand for corn really plummets? What if the government implements some kind of a steep excise tax on corn? It's now it's too expensive for everybody to grow. What, what if a pesticide sweeps across the community and wipes out, or pestilence rather, wipes out the, the whole community and wipes out your corn crop? So to be safe, you should grow more than just one crop. It's the same with your investments. But most people think they're... They're more diversified than they are. So again, look at where you're at. Look at where you're at. Be smart. Be smart. Don't lose what you have. Be happy with what you have and make the most of it. And Graham Capital Advisors, we can show you how to do it safely, professionally. You don't have some weasel out there that's on the radio or TV that is just schlepping stuff to you because he's trying to sell products. Get Good, true fiduciary advice. And in our office, I'm so proud of the fact that we are true fiduciaries. We are, quite frankly, the only ones in the Tampa Bay area that are a true fiduciary. You hear people use that word so loosely, but we're the only ones. It's the rest of them all you know, have insurance companies or brokerage houses paying for their advertising. So who do you think they're indebted to? They're more concerned about their retirements than your retirement. But like you to always hear Jack Harris and Ted Webb say, we're the real deal for a reason. And we love what we do. So come and see us. Just go to GrahamCapitalAdvisors.com. What about a crisis or opportunity? You think of this one. You know, when people sometimes see a crisis, others they an opportunity. So some of it has to do with your mindset. You know, some of it might have to do with your circumstances in life, what you've experienced. You know, in life, we're nothing more than the summation of our experiences. That's it. So we all have a different view of things, from what we experienced previously. So, so let's think of some situations, how, how people would look at something and look at it differently. Think of, for example, you raise your kids and they're finally leaving the house. That's the first crisis people usually see when they're starting to get older. The emptiness syndrome. For some parents, the emptiness stage of life is a joyous time. But for most families, it comes out with a lot of sadness for mom and dad. Because for the first time, they got to look at each other after twenty years <laughs> and uh, the kids aren't there. That's a buffer. But the, but the emptiness syndrome usually is good news from a financial perspective. No longer do you have to pay, have to save for college bills to pay. You know, young, young adults eating around the house, emptying your refrigerator, bringing their friends over. And, and you can see expenses like cell phone bills, car insurance, it all starts to drop. could be a great time to start saving more aggressively than, than you ever had before. What about market crashes? You know, when you watch a market crash, it can be distressing if that downturn is going to affect your ability to retire the way you want to. But it can be a great opportunity in some circumstances. If, if you have cash to invest, it could, could be a great buying opportunity. You know, if you're hedging against the market, you might actually make a lot of money during a crash. But it's also having a plan that allows you to take advantage of the downturn, you know, instead of being afraid of it. And you always hear me say long-term care. It's insidious like a cancer, but that's the easiest way for you to lose a legacy. And long-term care insurance, it can be really frustrating to see long-term care insurance premiums, uh, premiums significantly increase but it might be just the kick in the butt that you're going to need to start exploring other options for ensuring against long-term care that you don't even know it's out there. Long-term care policies are feel-good policies. You are sold a long-term care policy, just like you would be sold a cancer policy. It's a fear. Do they really pay what they can pay? Yeah, but what happens is the premiums are going to keep going up because they can't control the cost of healthcare. So every 2 years you're going to get a premium increase until you eventually can't afford it and then they're going to tell you well keep it anyway but just lower the amount of money you're going to get. It's a financial product, it's a widget. It, that's not the way to take care of long-term care. You take care of long-term care by simply going to a good elder law attorney that's going to give you a revocable trust. So, you can reposition your assets so you don't lose them in case, God forbid, you had a stroke or an aneurysm or something that caused you to go into a nursing home. That's where the attorney comes in. If you don't know how to do that, come into our office. It's grahamcapitaladvisors.com. And something that's very prevalent today as the world changes to a digital world what about getting laid off? You know, getting laid off, downsized, or forced into an early retirement, that comes a little bit with some emotional turmoil, you know, you've been doing something for 20, 30 years. And all of a sudden they call you in and they say, you know what? We can't afford you. we got another young guy here that worked for half of what you're doing and twice as hard. And all of a sudden you find out you're kicked out the door, you know, but f- with the right planning, you might discover that you're actually in a better financial shape than you realized. And you can go ahead and retire. Or at the very least the situation you know, might force your hand into actually finding another job if you're still young enough that you want to work. And and that causes a lot less stress. And I can tell you just from, you know, being in in the media entertainment business, as t- things have gotten digital now, people that have been in the business 20 or 30 years wake up one day and find out they've been ripped, reduction enforced. And the ones that are still young enough that go out and get jobs, they're so glad it happened to them. Because now they're working and they, make, they might have been going from being in a radio station to a TV station. And they realize there's a whole new world out there that they enjoy a heck of a lot more than they did their older world. So there's some, some, some good, goodness with everything that happens in life. Look, you're getting ready for retirement. You want to do it correctly. You want to do it properly. Come and see us. Let us help you. It's GrahamCapitalAdvisors.com. That's Graham Capital Advisors.com. And we got the mailbag. And helping us is James Berlander, the infamous producer at iHeartMedia. Good morning to you. Hey, good morning. How's it going, Mr. Cram? I am just right out on bushy-tailed and Memorial Day weekends, I'll tell you. Let me ask you something. Sure. We got some, some emails. What do we got there in
0: front of Ah, uh, So Vince and Brandon wrote in, uh, he writes in, I've heard a lot of people say that you should really work until 70 and then start your social security. Now, I'm only 57, and I can't imagine working another 13 years. Do I really need to work that long? Well,
1: no, not at all. You can quit whenever you want to quit. My gosh, whatever you're doing in life, be happy doing it. But at 57, I guess the question is, what are you going to live on? Social security doesn't start until 62. Unless you're independently wealthy, you have money put aside, you surely, you know, surely can quit anytime you want to, but where's the income gonna come in? It always usually starts with Medicare. That starts at sixty two. And remember, you might wanna change jobs for a period of time. If you really don't like what you're doing, you're doing it just because you have a check coming in, just to kind of give you some excitement in life, but you still need an income. And when it comes to Social Security, one reason why you hear people say work till 70, from the age of 62 to 67, it grows 6% a year. Every year you get 6% more. And when you finally get to be 67, if that's your full retirement age, is for most people that would be 57, well, then it grows 8% more. So 70, 71, 72. And remember... No one dies anymore. We live a lot longer if you respect your body. So that's the only reason why you you heard that, Vince. And uh, if you're not sure what to do, come and see us. Let's go to our website. It's GrahamCapitalAdvisors.com.
0: What else we got there, Jim? So Victoria in Siesta Key writes in, my dad died unexpectedly in his late 50s and left me a lot of money in a trust. Apparently, I can only withdraw limited amounts every year until I'm 30, and then I have more flexibility. It's all very overwhelming to try and understand. Can you tell me anything about how this kind of thing works?
1: Yeah, very simply your dad loved you and he knows that as you get older in life, once you get into your thirties, you have a different kind of perspective on monies as you would in your twenties. And you know, you might even appreciate it a little bit more because you just understand where you might be going in life. So most most legal expertise will tell you to hold off until you're in your 30s. But he is giving you some monies to grow up with. And once you're 30, then then you're going to be able to get more monies coming in um, and to do what you need to do to last you the rest of your life. You know, in many ways, he did you a great favor by doing that. And you could honor his memory, but just by following his wishes and, you know, getting a job or doing getting an education that you need to start pursuing something in life. And by the time you're in your thirties, you might be married. You might start needing a house or kids, you know, kids are very expensive. So it's a good thing the way he set it up. So that's, that's how that thing works. And if you're still not sure what income you have coming in or what you're doing, then come and see us. It's Graham Got one more there, James. Yeah, we got
0: one more, uh, Mike in uh, Northport. Writes in, in the interest of confidentiality, I won't get into specifics, but suffice it to say that I work in sales for a product that's selling extremely well right now. I just received the biggest commission check of my life, and I'm wondering how you'd recommend investing it in the current market.
1: Well, regardless of your age, first rule investing, don't lose money. Second rule of investing, don't forget the first rule. Um, Mike, I'm not sure how old you are, but right now we're in a very, very tenuous time, simply because of the fact that there's a lot going on in Washington. The markets are so overdue for a correction, it's not even funny. And uh, if you listen for the next 15 or 20 minutes, we're going to be talking to Stash Graham in Washington, D.C., our chief financial officer, and he might answer some of those questions for you. So why don't you just stay on? And with that, we have Stash Graham, our chief investment officer, managing director of Grant Captain Wolf, Manager of Washington. Good morning to you. Good morning, David. Well, here we are. The debts the debts are still out there. They haven't reached an agreement on on the compromise of a budget. So where are we going with the market stash? What's it look like going into this summer?
2: Well, I mean, going into the summer, it it is an interesting dynamic where you're seeing markets kind of wade their way higher. Uh, We've talked before about the narrow breadth of the stock market. I mean, you are seeing a material decoupling of different types of equities and classifications of equities, and you're seeing a material separation of performance between bond investments broadly, so whether it's U.S. Treasury, government agencies, corporate bonds, and equities, and especially large cap. So first, the the difference in equities, you're noticing large cap equities, and, and really, it's a handful of large cap equities, but you're seeing a lot of large cap equities perform a lot better than small cap equities. Uh, small cap equities have not nearly seen a rebound that the large cap indices have. Now, again, with that, there's only really a handful of companies within the large cap indices that are really driving things forward. You still have a lot that are down double digits uh, over the last six months. But in the small cap world, say market capitalization's 10 billion or below, uh, you're still seeing stocks off 20, 30%, and they really have not rebounded. So you're seeing a material decoupling in performance there. And then separately, you've seen interest rates over last month move higher. Uh, and I think that is an interesting dynamic because obviously that weakens bond prices uh, and it increases yields. Now, from that front, you're seeing an increase across the yield curve. Uh, this past week, we've been ad- actively divesting of our. 10-year U.S. Treasury holdings that we acquired about eight months ago. Uh, about eight months ago, the 10-year U.S. Treasury was right around 4.1% to 4.15%. Now, and, and it fell on the recession risks and slowing growth and inflation coming down. It went from eight months ago at 4.1% to 415 It went all the way down to about 33 a couple months ago but now it's trended higher and now it's close to about 3.8% and increasing because we just got a batch of inflation data that surprised to the upside. So uh, I think it's a, it's a fascinating dynamic right now. Again, you're seeing a material decoupling between equities and bonds, which is not entirely abnormal, but I think the, the amount of separation of performance is what's notable. And then within the equity universe, you're seeing a material decoupling in performance where it's really large caps greatly outperforming small caps and small caps not even remotely looking like they're fighting back and getting a bid.
1: Well, let me ask you something. You know, we, right now, inflation now is starting to go up again. So the, it looks like there's going to be another Fed, Fed hike in interest rates in June or July. So how's that going to affect the markets?
2: I mean, hypothetically, it shouldn't be good for equity markets. It's making their cost of capital more expensive. Now, again, it's a a relative relationship. Your cost of capital could go up, but if you grow earnings, you grow profitability, you grow revenues at a higher rate, then everything should be fine. Uh, That's why when you talk about inflation... Stocks are a good asset to own during times of inflation, but it's only good if you can get the the growth that actually outpaces inflation. Uh, and, and hence, if you have a stagflationary environment where growth levels are not keeping up with inflation, well, that's not necessarily good for equities. Uh, but again, higher interest rates, another rate hike, generally speaking, should not be good for risk assets because again, it makes capital more expensive. Uh, It makes their relative value towards the risk-free rate a little less attractive. Remember, you get a Fed funds rate hike again, that's going to move up interest rates on whether it's CDs, whether it's on money market accounts, whether it's on U.S. treasuries, whether it's on corporate bonds. And now you're drawing capital away from equities because you're going to have people go, hey, you know what? I can make you know, 5% on my money market account. Why do I need to be in the stock market? I can can actually get a full 5%. Uh, It's been over a decade since you could last say that you can make 5% on your money market account and have it be safe. Uh, So again, that dynamic should not necessarily be good with equities. But again, it depends if you believe growth will be able to outpace that increase in interest rates. And then finally, and I think this is important, especially from what we've seen over the last 60 to 90 days, another interest rate hike, Puts further pressure, downside pressure on banks, and so I know that's been a very popular topic of discussion over the last sixty to seventy days. And you've had some very prominent people, whether it's Warren Buffett or or uh, JPMorgan Chase CEO Jamie Dimon, both express a degree of, "Hey, we're not really here. We're not through the woods yet. You know, we need to get through this. Uh, you get another interest rate hike, it would not be shocking if you see another headline or two where FDIC." takes over a bank, uh, uh, because again, what does it do? What does an interest rate hike do? And excuse me, another interest rate hike. It further puts pressure down on the asset value and the book value of a respective bank. It lowers their, their, uh, uh, adjusted capital levels. Uh, and it puts further pressure on deposits leaving the bank, which again, I, puts further pressure on, on the capital of a, of a given bank. So All that's right. a dynamic to watch again banks now are finally over uh, last quarter or so have finally started to increase the rates that they're willing to compensate their customers for their deposits. That wasn't the case last year. And really, that wasn't the case the first two months of the year. But you have seen an increase in deposit beta. Uh, And again, I think that's going to continue through the summer as banks really can't give up any depo- or the, the vast majority of banks, if you're not a, a systematically important government systematic, or excuse me, a, a, a GSIB, uh, a globally systematic important bank, if you're not one of those, you're trying to keep deposits because you generally don't have excess liquidity or excess capital.
1: Right. Well, look, right now you're starting to see more and more risky investments being traded off because, you know, the credit conditions are tightening now. So you see stocks, they're, you know, they're having weekly outflows. Now Where on the other hand, you see cash bond funds, they're, they're having inflow. So when you see that going into June and July, what does that tell you?
2: Look, uh, it's going to be a fascinating summer. Uh, I, I think this is one of those dynamics when you see such a, 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 a divergence of performance, Something's going to have to give. And we've talked before about leading economic indicators and their relationships to coinciding and lagging indicators. Leading economic indicators continue to move lower. This is nine, ten months in a row now, and it's not showing a sign of stabilization. New orders continue to move lower. That's not a good sign for manufacturing and manufacturing jobs. Uh, Again, I, I think this is your point of inflection And I I think I mentioned this a month ago on the show, uh, we're going to have this 90 to 120 day period, which I believe reflects your inflection point. Or when we look back, it'll be your inflection point where a lot of the data we're getting says, hey, you know what, everything is not as bad as we think, but then span out six, seven months later after all these revisions to the data we get, we go, oh, actually things were worse than what we thought. I believe we're in that period now. uh, And it won't necessarily be something that we we readily see until the end of the year.
1: Right. Well, again, overall, when you look at surveys that are out there, people are a little concerned. You know, they're concerned about where we're going with this debt issue that they're trying to resolve. And they're concerned because it's summer and and, and I think I think that's one reason why you see retail investors selling their stocks now uh, simply because of that. And usually they they come in after the big boys are doing it. So when you when you put that together, it doesn't seem like we're going to be going very far through the summer or into the fall. You know, the oak cliche go away in May and come back in October. I think I think we're already starting to see that. And it's it's not even June yet.
2: No, look, I, I think, again, when you, when you look broadly, you step back and, and maybe not focus on one piece of weekly you know, initial jobless claims or one monthly jobs report or one month's worth of inflation. I mean, again, inflation is surprised to the upside, but make no mistake, inflation has been coming down the last five months. So is this month of April PCE report a one-off and we're going to see the trend line continue? I think the odds on bet is yes. But the still, the overarching aspect to inflation is it's going to be higher than I think what a lot of people believe. It's going to be stickier. It's it's just going to be more elevated. The goal of the Federal Reserve to get a long-term uh, inflation rate of two percent, you're you're just going to be years away. It's it's not going to happen within twelve months. Uh, It's going to continue to go higher. And even if you are in a recessive economy, you're going to see inflation stay higher. And again, the risks of stagflation are here. I mean, it is here. It has been here. Uh, And again, I think when you're trying to manage assets, you're weighing a lot of different dynamics. And really, the core question is, what is the least worst thing to own? at this point what is the worst sector or what is the least worst sector or asset to own right now because inflation again inflation is elevated you don't want to lose purchasing power now certain interest rates for certain types of fixed income investments are keeping in touch with inflation so you're not losing purchasing power uh but again then you might open yourself up to credit risk or market risk uh depending on the specific asset you choose
1: right Right. Well, I think that's, you know, that's kind of where we're going right now, because everywhere you look, you see all these forecasters, you know, saying the economy now is starting to cool for the rest of this quarter. And then you're going to see a further slowdown in consumer spending and even a pullback in business investment, uh, which is going to cause the economy to shrink in the second half of the year. I mean, everything is pointing to that now. So knowing that, how are you telling people they should invest I think you have
2: to be defensive and just say, hey, look, the worst is yet to come, and it's probably closer than we believe, especially if you believe that we're at this inflection point. Uh, You're seeing consumption levels that are very inconsistent and showing different signs. And really what you're seeing is people are spending for – people are spending – broadly are spending for their needs, not their wants. And Mm -hmm. so, again, you've seen that. You've seen people warn about that respective dynamic, whether it's Foot Locker, whether it's Walmart, whether it's Dollar Store. You've seen that commentary, Target. You've seen that commentary the last couple of quarters. But look, you do have a certain portion of the population that is very well off and they're traveling and they're making vacations. Uh, you've seen very optimistic commentary and you've, you should have no reason to doubt their, their, their commentary uh, from airlines companies. But who tends to travel? during the summer, well-off people. And, and so, look, you, you've seen a material separation, and that separation is also getting bigger. Um, so I think it is something you have to be mindful of. But look, I think when you're looking out very broadly about the picture, consumption by and large is lower, and it is trending lower. It might be slower than people, or the decline might be slower than what was initially thought, but it is coming down. Because people are, there is a growing portion of the population that are struggling to maintain uh, day-to-day, their day-to-day lifestyle. Separate from that, you're seeing business investment. I think this is probably the big catalyst. So we actually haven't seen definitive quarter over quarter data, but you are starting to see it now because we have one quarter's worth of data and really the leading commentary that you've seen from companies that do business with our companies is, Hey, look, we've only, in the month of April, we only saw a further decline in the amount of business, uh, uh, business deals, but we just got a recent capital expenditures report for the month of April on Friday. And outside of defense aircraft and parts, the durable goods order across the board was very weak. Uh, And so I think it's one of those aspects that you are now seeing a sustained decline in business investment and capital expenditures. And that does not bode well for an economy that is going to see less consumption from residential households, or at least not certainly not growth levels. You're going to see a decline in business investment and business consumption. And then you have a government where it looks like we're going to get to a debt ceiling deal, but it's going to imply cuts on some dynamics. Yes, the deficit's going to grow uh, and the debt will grow, but the spending levels, the growth spending levels will come down because – uh, House, House Speaker of the House, Kevin McCarthy, has flagged that. They're shopping right. $400 billion off here and $700 billion off here. And look, those are going to add up over time, uh, but it's going it to imply a slowing gross spending level from the government. And so then you have to ask the question, where's the demand going to come from that's going to stabilize us from this decline that we've seen in households? And I don't think there's an answer for that.
1: Well, do you feel, Stas? One last question here. With everything going on, we're anticipating a slowdown. Forecasters are saying everything is slowing down across the board. Again, knowing in your position as being a money manager, you explain to people, "Look, we have strong headwinds coming at us." Is there a way for you to give them peace of mind, knowing that Look, you know I, what you're talking yeah. about, and, and instead of what they read in the newspaper?
2: Yeah, so I think that's the hard part. Is you you see so many different headlines, you can get caught up emotionally by seeing a variety of headlines. I, I think exactly. this is the point where you kind of just have to put your head down and trust your instincts. Uh, I think again, there there are more risks to the downside of the market than there is upside, uh, and it is it would not be, it's not a tough dynamic here with with any one of these speed bumps. Look, you know, I know there's a lot of discussions about the debt ceiling. But remember, in 90 days, we're going to start negotiations on how to fund the government, the budget that needs to get passed. I think that is a much more realistic chance of a risk on the economy, on financial asset prices, if we get a government shutdown in September, October, because Republicans and Democrats can't agree how to spend the money. Uh, I think that, again, and you've seen that a couple times, uh, about a decade ago, Um, debt ceiling, Oh, and, you, and you saw it in 2017 uh, with the Trump administration. Uh, the chances of government shutdown, I think, are more elevated due to a disagreement on budget than it is a, a debt ceiling
1: violation where the government has to shut down. No, uh, I but understand. Look, I- One last question. OK, we, we always talk about retirement, but let's make this say if you were a little younger, let's say you were 35 years old and you're saving 10, 15 percent of your check every every week you know wanting to be able to have a nice cushion financially to do the right thing knowing where these headwinds are going in the next 6 months how do you advise someone at that age how they should invest their money and what should they do should they just get out of the markets invest conservatively ride the roller coaster what would you recommend
2: uh, i mean if especially if you if you're younger i mean Everyone should have exposure to the stock market. It's not realistic, even if you believe there's a recession and and uh, the worst is yet to come. It, it doesn't mean you can't have any equity exposure. I mean, you need to have some degree of equity exposure. Now you can control what you invest in in the equity markets uh, and uh, you can control what your allocation is to the equity markets. And it might be smaller if you're, if you're more bearish, but you need to have some type of equity exposure. If you're younger, you could certainly ride the wave. Uh, but I would say you need to be very laser focused on the companies and the sectors that you are in, invested in. I think, again, holistically, personally, and we've talked before about this, if you're going to invest in the equity markets, you need to invest in sectors that have shown a degree of resilience in the last 10, 15 years. uh, uh, You need to be invested in companies with solid balance sheets that can self-finance any investments that the companies need. I think at a period right now when the cost of capital continues to increase, you're seeing the real businesses and the real business models survive or lose less, while business models that were really they're not really businesses. I I would always define a business. If you can't actually generate a profit, a bottom line profit after two or three years, are you really a real business? And you've had after a decade of ultra loose monetary policy, these businesses that really can't survive without cheap capital. Uh, And and again, you've seen whether say a company like Peloton, which was in the news a year, year and a half ago. Um, Again, these businesses only survived because they were losing money every year they were right. told to grow at all costs, and the only way they would survive was interest rates that were basically zero bound uh, right. and declining. And again, that's, not, that's just not realistic. And so the businesses that I think that have done well, say, over the last year or so, are businesses with good balance sheets actually generate free cash flow. And again, if there is an investment that needs to get made, they don't go to the capital markets and try to raise debt. They can self-finance it with their cash flow.
1: Right. And, and when you think who has the most cash, isn't it mostly all the tech companies, you know, the top richest companies in the world, you know, the Microsofts, the Apples, you know, where they have billions of dollars sitting in their checking account. Wouldn't that be for someone 35 years old? Somebody just let that ride and invest in those companies?
2: Right, so it depends. So it depends on the type of company specifically, and I think that's important because you know some of the some of the banks or some of the, excuse me some of the tech companies you've mentioned actually generate free cash flow. These are companies that actually make money. Right. Uh, you do have a handful of large, very large tech companies that simply don't make money. And again, right. that is something you're going to have to wade through when you do your analysis and go, hey, look. If you weren't making money five years ago when interest rates were basically zero bound and the economy was producing higher GDP growth rates, then how are you going to make money now in an environment where the GDP is lower than where it was five years ago? Or excuse me, the GDP growth rate was lower than where it was five years ago and the cost of capital has tripled. It just, again, that's one of those dynamics where you have to ask yourself, is it worth taking this risk, putting capital in that type of company right now or if I want equity exposure, should I invest in a company that is generating free cash flow, that's returning it, they have high barriers to entry, maybe and preferably they're in a capital-scarce sector? I think right. you see a lot of those attributes when I've talked about certain companies with good balance sheets generate free cash flow that are self, uh, self-financing or self-fulfilling companies. You see a lot of those companies in capital-scarce industries because what is a capital-scarce industry? A capital-scarce industry is an industry that can't get new capital, whether equity or debt. They struggle to get it for a variety of reasons, whether it's underperformance, whether it's some uh, regulatory reason, whether it's ESG, whatever. They struggle to get capital, and they are businesses that can weather the cost of capital going higher because they're not relying on capital markets.
1: Yeah, well said. Well, Stash, as always, Great information. I want to thank you for coming on. I want you to have a, a good weekend. And, and the, the Rays are playing the Dodgers. This ought to be an interesting weekend of baseball, to say the least.
2: Absolutely. Take care, David.
1: Take care. Have a good weekend. See you now. You're just listening to Stosh Graham, our chief investment officer, managing director of Grant Capital Wealth Management in Washington. And You think it's time for a good second opinion. Well, guess what? He was one of only 10 11% of the advisors in America last year that didn't lose money. Remember, guaranteeing your retirement, don't lose it. You got somebody that's a hot shot, and if you lost money, shame on you. You don't need to be doing that. Let us help you. Go to our website. It's GrahamCapitalAdvisors.com. you really want to be lucky in life, go help someone. God send a smile on you, and you're going to get to be incredibly lucky. We're lucky to be Americans. It's right on our currency. God we trust. Good luck. God bless. Take care of each other. Stay safe. This program is sponsored by Graham Capital Advisors, LLC. Graham Capital Advisors, LLC is an independent estate planning and insurance agency. Investment advisory services are provided by Graham Capital Wealth Management, LLC, an independent registered investment advisor. Advisory services are only offered to clients or prospective clients where Graham Capital Wealth Management and its representatives are properly licensed or exempt from licensure. The information provided is for educational and informational purposes only and does not constitute investment advice and should not be relied on as such. Individuals should consult with a qualified professional for guidance before making any purchasing decisions.